Okay. Okay. Oh, hi, friends at Mafra. Uh, here we are again, lockdown. Uh, hope you're going okay. Just keep trusting Jesus. Um, he will bring us through. Uh, but here, yeah, we need to consider God's word together. And, and I've chosen to to think about Psalm 87 today as we're saying goodbye to the Price family or farewell. Um, and Psalm 87 is a wonderful missionary psalm. Uh, so let's pray and then we'll think about it. Uh, loving Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you again for the riches of your word. Please help us to attend carefully to it today as we uh, think about these these concepts, these ideas that you've embedded in your sacred word. And we ask that you would help us to take them to heart and to uh, to to model our lives accordingly um, with the help of your Holy Spirit. And all this we pray for the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, Psalm 87, please turn it up and uh, we'll, we'll work our way through it. So I'm going to read it from the English Standard Version, and Psalm 87 goes like this. It's a psalm of the sons of Korah, so that helps us to understand whenabouts it was written. They were after the time of the great King David, uh, so it's a later psalm. It's in Book 3 of the Book of Psalms, and Book 3 uh, trace, traces the decline of David's family line. Uh, the psalms reflect the fact that uh, that David's kingship uh, and those of his descendants is declining. And so we read Psalm 87. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples. This one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. In other words, these singers and dancers of verse 7 are rejoicing and saying that all of their springs are in Zion, the city that God loves. So I want to suggest today, as I entitled my talk, our springs are in Zion. So what does that mean? Well, the psalm ends, verse 7, all my springs are in you. A spring is a source of fresh water. Uh, in a dry and thirsty land, such as Israel continues to be, uh, a natural source of fresh water is a great image of a life-giving force. And so a spring is a source of life. The life that comes to the people who call Zion home uh, comes from a spring that is there. What kind of spring is it? Have you ever heard the term putting down roots? Um, where are your roots? In other words, where do you spring from? Uh, I was born in England in 1959, but my parents uh, came out to Australia when I was only six months old, so I had no recollection of it at all uh, until... Uh, in 2006, Jenny and I went there and uh, my uncle and aunt met us off the plane and we caught the bus out to Richmond uh, in the south of London and we were walking across Teddington Lock Bridge on the Thames. The sun was going down and I thought, I really am in England. And there was a sense in which I felt at home. And I thought, this is really strange. I've never been here. Everything is strange to me except... Mum had told me all these stories. We'd grown up on English books and 
English television and all those sorts of things and I, I felt oddly at home, even though I was somewhere that I'd never really been before. Uh, my springs were in England, but not all of them. Um, I've got a few springs in America as well. So in 2010, my son Andy and I went to America and we did some driving around in a rental car and uh, driving between West Virginia and Nashville, Tennessee, uh, I looked at the map and realised that Rosine, Kentucky was only just a little way off the, uh, off the interstate. Well, I thought I'd better go there because that's where bluegrass music was born. So driving along through Kentucky and down into Tennessee was like, for me, driving through a country song because I kept on coming across towns with names that I recognised from the music that I like. I've got springs in, in England and I've got springs in America as well where, where we draw the life of our soul from. But we need to talk about Zion and the springs that are there. Zion is a, it's more than just a place, it's a concept. It's a word that has a rich uh, range of associations that come to it. Well, what's the idea of Zion? What does it mean? In Deuteronomy chapter 12, uh, Deuteronomy is where Moses preaches to the people of Israel. They've been rescued from slavery in Egypt. They've been taken through the wilderness. They're on the very brink of the promised land. They're on the other side of the Jordan. Moses isn't going with them into the promised land. And so he delivers four lengthy sermons to tell them what sort of lives they'll need to live if they're to live well in the land that God has uh, given to them. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 12, we read these words. And this is the first of 20 references that are very similar to this throughout the book of Deuteronomy. So it must be an important concept. Yahweh, the Lord, says through Moses to the people of Israel, you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices. Now, it didn't happen straight away, but of course we realise that Jerusalem was the place that God was going to put his name and Jerusalem was the place it was built on Mount Zion. So Mount Zion means Jerusalem, uh, but Jerusalem is, is sort of an earthly reference. Zion has this more spiritual, almost heavenly reference that goes along with it. So God says, don't just worship me anywhere, but in the one place. And notice what he's going to do. He's going to name, he's going to put his name. In other words, he's going to, his name means his character and his identity. And he's going to live there. He's going to make his habitation there. And so as we look through the book of Deuteronomy, we realise that uh, Zion was a place of rejoicing. It was the place where the, the Israeli people went for their festivals, uh, several festivals each year, including Passover, of course. And these were times of great celebration and rejoicing. Uh, Zion was a holy place. It was a place that was set aside because that's where God lived. And it was a place where they went to hear and to learn the law. And the law was to be that means of governing their life so that they could live well in the land and they wouldn't be evicted from it, which of course eventually they were. So all of these ideas attach themselves to Zion. It's a bit like having a favourite holiday place. Um, if you tell the kids we're going to Rosebud or Apollo Bay or wherever that special place is, it brings up a whole range of images in people's minds. And, and the images that were attaching themselves to Zion were ones of delight, of, of great times, of, of rejoicing and celebration. But there's more to the picture of Zion as well, because eventually in Israel's story, King David took from the Jebusites the citadel of Zion uh, and, and he made Jerusalem his capital city. So 2 Samuel chapter 5, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. And eventually he brings the tabernacle, which had been living at Shiloh, the tabernacle, which was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant lived in the tabernacle and, and the Ark of the Covenant was this visible symbol of God living among his people in this, in this tent. 
and eventually, of course, a temple was built to house the ark. And so Zion became the city of God's king. David was God's king. He reigned on Mount Zion. So these are more images that attach themselves to this concept. Zion is more than a physical place. It's more than territory. It's a concept. It's an idea. Well, there's more yet, and there's plenty more that we could say, and we haven't got time to develop a full picture of Zion, but here's a few snapshots. In Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah the prophet looks ahead to a day when having been destroyed, Zion will be restored. And in Isaiah 2 verses 2 to 4, the prophet writes, In the latter days all the nations and many people shall flow to the mountain of the house of the Lord, which is Zion, and there there will be an end to war. The nations shall beat their swords into plowshares. There's this vision of universal peace, and it all comes when the nations flow to Zion. So what does Isaiah the prophet mean? All this is bound up in the ideas that we've seen in Psalm 87. Well, all the nations are going to come from all the corners of the earth. They're going to come and they're going to learn the law in Zion. And that will be the means by which God uses to put an end to warfare and usher in a reign of eternal peace. Now, we're familiar with the idea of a name meaning more than just a location. So, for instance, when you think of Canberra, you might think of it as a dot on the map. But if we say Canberra, usually it brings to mind images of politics. Uh, we have national parliament there. If I said to you Nashville in Tennessee, if you're anything like me, you'd think immediately country music, because that's what Nashville's famous for. If we talk Gallipoli to any Australian or New Zealander, Gallipoli means a place of conflict, a place of, uh, of bravery, heroism, and, and ultimately defeat. But Gallipoli is more than a place. It's a place that has a rich association that goes along with it. That's how we need to think of Zion. All these concepts come together. It's the place where God will make his home. It's the place where God's king reigns. It's the place to which all the nations, all the nations will one day come. So Zion became the location of Solomon's temple. It was the place where bricks and mortar surrounded the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. It was a, a permanent habitation for God right in the middle of Jerusalem, right there on the pinnacle of Mount Zion. And so we can, say, we can sum it all up and say Zion represents where God lives among his people. And so we move back to our passage, Psalm 87. And in the first three verses, we're told that God loves the city. And that's important. Now, Zion is holy. We read that there. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. So God is the, the founder of Zion. But Zion is holy because God lives there. God didn't live there because Zion was already holy. His presence there makes Zion holy. And God loves this city that he's founded. And to say that God loves it means that he's chosen it because that's exactly the language that God uses for his choice of Israel back in Deuteronomy chapter 7. God's chosen Zion to be the place where he'll make his name live. And so we read there in verse 3 that glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Now the great John Newton, the, uh, the famous writer of Amazing Grace, he had a lovely hymn uh, based on these words as well. Glorious things of you are spoken, Zion city of our God. But we could wonder, glorious? Because remember I said earlier on, this was a psalm of Korah. This is not a psalm of David. The sons of Korah wrote this and we know about when they wrote it. And at the time they wrote it, Zion was anything but glorious. Because by the time the book of Psalms was assembled, and as you look through the, the progress of the, of the Psalms that uh, are there in, in book three of the book of Psalms, we realise that Zion was desolate. Zion had been invaded and, and knocked over by the Babylonians and all the people of Jerusalem had had to flee. 
Many of them had been taken into captivity and gone all the way over to Babylon to live. In Psalm 74, the psalmist wonders, have they been cast off forever? He says, Zion's in ruins. In Psalm 77, are they wondering if God's steadfast love for his people has ceased? Has he cancelled out his promises? In Psalm 79, we're told that the nations have defiled, they've made unholy the Mount of Zion and Jerusalem. So how can Zion be glorious when it's just a pile of rubble? What are they talking about? Is it just propaganda? Is it wishful thinking or is there something more going on? Well, there's more going on. So what are these glorious things that are spoken of here? Well, amazingly, they're people. The people that God knows. The people that have come to know God. And so as you look at the the names of the people that are listed here, we read there in verses 4 to 6, among those who know me, I mention Rahab. Now, Rahab is another name for Egypt. It's a nickname, a bit of a mocking nickname that the Israelites had for Egypt. Uh, But Rahab means Egypt. And there's also Babylon over there to the east. And then there's Philistia and Tyre. And as well as that, there's Cush. Now, Cush was a region that we would now call in the North Sudan, way in the south of Egypt at that time. And so you've got five names of people that are claimed to live in Zion. These people... um, Of Zion, it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers, this one was born there. So Cush, Rahab, Philistia, Tyre, Babylon, born in Zion. Now think about it. Rahab, Egypt and Babylon are the two ancient enemies of God's people. And they're going to be counted as being born in in Zion. Uh, These are the places that that, uh, Israel was rescued from. uh, Slavery in Egypt and then they were taken into captivity and eventually rescued from Babylon. So fearsome enemies are going to be counted as being known in Zion. Philistia, uh, a neighbouring nation, very famous for always making war on Israel. Tyre was famous for its idolatry, but also for its wealth. It was a constant temptation to Israel. And Cush, well, that's about as far away as anybody could imagine going. So in other words, Cush represents the ends of the earth. So we've got enemies made into friends. We've got... um, idolaters turned into worshippers we've got people from as far away as it's possible to imagine who are now counted as being born in Zion except they weren't born there so Zion is not glorious it's a pile of ruins and these people weren't born there so what's going on in this psalm now like I said uh, Andy and I my son and I went uh, to America in 2010 and it's an interesting thing to get off the beaten track in America and uh, get away from the places that are famous. And we did a bit of traveling in unusual places. And we were stopped at a diner one night and the uh, woman, the the waitress came around to to ask for our order. And as we were giving her her order, she cocked her head sideways and looked at us as though she was trying to figure out what was going on. I said, do you know where we're from? And her reply was, well, I don't know, but I can tell you not from round here. And so we told her we were from Australia, and I don't think she'd even really heard of it. Uh, there's something about being a local. Uh, they say in some country towns that you're not really a local there until you've got three generations buried in the cemetery. Uh, belonging matters to people. Uh, when I started my teaching career, uh, I was pretty quickly alerted to the fact that I was anything but a local in the little country town I'd gone to. In fact, uh, the people there had a name for people like me. We were called blow-ins because we blow in and then we just blow out again. And there was a little bit of hostility in that term. 
but these are people that weren't born in Zion, and yet they're counted now as having been born there. They've become locals. Well, how does that happen? This one and that one were born in her. How is it going to happen? How can anyone be born of Zion? Because one day all the nations are going to be gathered there. Well, we need to go right back to the beginning of the story. Back in Genesis 12, God had promised Abraham that uh, through him, his blessing, which had been lost in the fall when, when God put the earth under a curse, his blessing was going to be restored to the whole world, to all the nations, through a descendant of Abraham. And of course, we believe that descendant of Abraham is the Lord Jesus. Israel was the nation that God chose. He loved them and he called them to be his light. They were to be his priestly representatives on earth, showing others what it meant to follow the God of the universe. But they failed. They didn't do very well at all. They became more like the nations than they, they were an example to them. But Psalm 87 is written expressing this great hope that Yahweh will restore the ruins of Zion and he will yet gather the nations. So it's a prophetic psalm. It's looking for a fulfilment further on into the future. It's not saying this is how things are now. It's saying this is how things will become in Yahweh's time. So how does someone become born in Zion? Well, through regeneration. Psalm 87 is a psalm which looks ahead to a wonderful new birth that doesn't, re that doesn't require physical descent. It doesn't require a complicated family tree. It doesn't require being a local there's something spiritual and wonderful happening here. It's a new birth. Now, this is exactly what Jesus had in mind when he was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. So Nicodemus, who Jesus says is the teacher of Israel, he comes and says, what must, what, must, what must I do to receive the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus is puzzled. He says, what, do I have to jump back into mum's tum? And Jesus says, you're Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things? And clearly Jesus thought that Nicodemus should have had a bit of a sense of it from reading something like Psalm 87. And there's other places as well. So Jesus goes on and in John chapter 3 verse 8, he talks about being born of the Spirit. This is regeneration. It's not natural birth, it's regeneration. So we go across to John chapter 10. And the lovely passage there where Jesus calls himself the good shepherd in verses 14 and to 16, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. So that's language that we're finding in, in Psalm 87. God knows his people. They know him. Jesus says, I know my own and my own know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Now here's the important bit. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. In other words, sheep that are far from national Israel. I must bring them also, and they will also listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus, the king in the line of David, the descendant of Abraham who will restore God's blessing to the earth, is the true king of Zion. Now, he didn't look like a king at the time, and he was crucified as a criminal. But we understand by faith that Jesus is the fulfilment of all that Zion was meant to represent. The place where God would make his name live, the place where God would live in the midst of his people, the place from which God's king would rule the world and call the nations to worship. Now, it's interesting here, and this is very important for understanding our status as Christians. This side of the cross, there'll be one flock and one shepherd. God has one people, his people. Whether they're old covenant people, Israel, or new covenant people, Christians, they're all God's people. Some 
times you'll hear in, in Christian circles that, uh, of a sharp distinction between Israel and the church. Uh, it's unbiblical and very unhelpful. God is gathering one people through one shepherd. The, the, the Lord Jesus is gathering people for himself. So who are these people God knows? Because uh, the Lord records as he registers, this one was born there in, chapter, in Psalm 87 verse 6. Now God has a book. As a teacher, I used to have to mark the roll. When we were out on an excursion, uh, you'd, you'd tick off everybody that got onto the bus and at the end of the day when we were about to go home, you'd tick them off again and make sure that you had everybody. I wasn't on this excursion, but there was a famous one in one of the schools that I taught at that happened years before. Uh, I got there, but uh, the legend of it was still circulating that they were on, the school was on a bus trip through central Australia and they'd stopped for lunch at a, a remote roadhouse and off they went again. And a couple of hours later, a police car came up, lights and sirens behind the bus because they had left one of the students back at the roadhouse and the cop had to bring it all away. Clearly the role wasn't marked. Now the Lord records as he registers the peoples, all these people from, from Egypt, from Babylon, from Philistia, from, from Tyre, from Cush, from everywhere that there is, God has a book and their names are in it. Now that idea of God marking a role of having a book is found at numerous places throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's a way of saying to us that God knows those who belong and everyone who belongs will be there. And so we read in Revelation 13 verse 5 that those who are redeemed by the Lamb uh, have since before the foundation of the world have their names recorded in the book of the life, the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If you have put your trust in Jesus, your name is written in a mark in a roll book where it will never ever be erased. You belong in Zion because of all that Jesus has done for you. And so the psalm finishes with this wonderful picture of joy. The singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. Zion was in ruins when the psalm was written. But this psalm is looking ahead to a day when Zion again will become a place of singing and dancing, a place of celebration as it had once been. All my springs are in you. Now that image of springs, of, of water of life, is, is one that's uh, used frequently in the, in the Bible in both Testaments. But Isaiah chapter 12 verse 3 has a wonderful little um, image. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So what is it? how is it that someone can be born in Zion even though they weren't born there? It's through regeneration. It's through being born again. It says they come and drink Zion's water, which will prove to be the well of salvation. Well, that's... So the challenge for each of us is to make sure that our, our springs are in Zion. Is that where we're really drawing our life from? Some of my springs are in England, some of them are in America, some of them are in Australia. But the most important spring in my life is the one that's founded in Zion, the place where God's made his name to dwell. So Zion's been fulfilled. The idea of Zion has been fulfilled wonderfully in the Lord Jesus because Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel. Zion was the place where God was making his name to dwell. God's name dwells in Jesus. God was making his residence among his people. Jesus is God with us. Jesus is the source of the living water, the, 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 the wells of salvation, the springs that are found in Zion. So John 7, 37 to 39, Jesus is there on the last day of the feast, the great day. He stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. 
So to come to Jesus and put your trust in him, to ask him to forgive your sins, is to make you a place where the Holy Spirit lives. So we've become Zion in a sense. The springs are in us. And we can take the spring of living water and, and impart it to others as we tell them about Jesus. So Zion is fulfilled in Jesus, but it's also fulfilled in the local church. Yeah, Mafra Community Church is Zion. Zion is no longer, well, you could still call Mount Zion a physical location, but biblically it's been so wonderfully fulfilled that the physical location is now quite secondary. Zion is fulfilled in the local church because Jesus said where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is. So what's Zion? It's the place where God lives. It's God living amongst his people. That's what the local church is, God living among his people. God loves Zion. God loves the church. We need to make sure we love it too. But wonderfully, this idea of Zion will be fulfilled in eternity. And that's certainly how the New Testament takes up the theme. You can read it in the book of Hebrews, but certainly in the book of Revelation. So Revelation 14 verse 1 says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. We haven't got time to go into all the background here, but this is a massive crowd. 144,000 is not a literal number. Uh, It's a symbolic number of 12 times 12. Uh, The Old Testament believers, the New Testament believers, uh, Israel and, and, and all Christians... Uh, a thousand is a number that can't be counted. This is a massive crowd standing with the Lamb on Mount Zion, wonderfully restored, glorious Mount Zion. And they sing a song, which we find in chapter 15, verse 4. And they sing out, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. And the song goes on, All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. This is the fulfilment of Psalm 87. Psalm 87 that looked ahead to a day when the ruins of Zion would be restored, when it would become glorious again, so glorious that the nations come to hear God's word coming from Zion. What's Zion? It's the spring of salvation that comes from following the Lord Jesus. Now you could, if you want to, go to physical Mount Zion. Uh, You could, and why not, if you can. Uh, I'd, I'd like to, I haven't been yet. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. But It won't make me or you a better Christian if we can go there. Christianity is not a pilgrimage faith. It's a missionary faith. We don't look to sacred sites as being some place that we can go and deepen our experience of God because we walk by faith, not by sight. We we know that we can meet with God just in our prayers and through his word. Uh, It doesn't take much to to furnish and to... to, um, to find the the resources to to nourish a deep Christian life once you've started drinking from the wells of salvation. So Christianity is not a pilgrimage faith, it's a a missionary faith. And so we go with the the gospel of Zion, that there are springs of salvation, that these springs are full of joy when we come to the only God that exists and worship him through his kingly son who reigns in Zion, the Lord Jesus. And so David and Taryn and Micah, and um, Noah and Caleb are going out to Niger, obedient to the call of Zion, obedient to, to take the, the gospel message to people there so that one day we'll be able to say, as Psalm 87 encourages to, the Lord records as he registers, this one born in Galmi was actually born in Zion. That's the great missionary impetus. Physical descent, physical birth, being a local, 
Well, we're all locals in Zion when we come by faith in Zion's King. And so to sum everything up, Psalm 87 looks ahead to a day when people from every nation, from Australia, from Niger, everywhere, will live and rejoice eternally in the city that God loves because they've become enrolled there through Jesus, Zion's true King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these wonderful pictures from your word. We thank you that you are gathering people to yourself, uh, saving them, rescuing them, redeeming them, making them new uh, through your kingly son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is the great shepherd who uh, laid down his life for the sheep. We thank you that he is creating one holy people for you. And we look ahead to the day when we're gathered with that immense crowd from every uh, tribe and people and language and nation. Uh, and we look ahead to the day when the, the Price's mission, along with others in, in uh, Niger, will bear such wonderful fruit that we'll count them as being citizens of Zion as we trust that we've become as well. So please bless their ministry. Please cause it to bear fruit. We ask that you would be, uh, bless our ministry and cause it to bear fruit here in Mafra as well as we continue to proclaim and live out the truth of the gospel of Zion. Uh, may all of our springs be found in her. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next time.